All right, we are back for an annual series that we do here on the channel and the podcast feed. It is, of course, the FFPC mini sows. This is how we kick off high stakes managed season. We always hop in an FFPC slow draft and get on the horn here and talk through all of our decisions in real time so you can kind of get a peek behind the curtain of how we kind of hash these things out. I will admit all of us have, have been firmly in the best ball streets up until this point. So this is going to be a really fun introduction to the high stakes ADP landscape. Um, these videos are made available uh, early for our YouTube members. And then the audio will end up on the podcast feed on delays. But if you want to see the videos, become a YouTube member. You can hop in the Discord as well. But I think that covers all the housekeeping. Ben Gretsch, Pat Crane, how are we feeling about getting the main event draft underway here? Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I'm feeling good. Like, it, it is funny, you know, we're uh, doing this a little later than usual, I think. And yeah. uh, not crazy later, but I think normally we try to hop in the very first main, uh, which didn't end up working out uh, with logistical stuff this year. But, you know, a little later, and I've done more drafts in my entire this year than I ever have in my entire life, probably put together. And yet, <laughs> I, I feel like... Tax, tax a little bit more behind. Here. Like I feel like I'm, you know, we we kind of had I had a better sense of the FFPC landscape last, you know, mid July than I do here in late July. Yeah, how are you feeling about it, Gretch? Kind of because I know this has been your first time getting to do a bunch of early best ball stuff too. Are you ready to do the hard pivot to uh to manage strategy? I am, and that's like a big thing that. Um, I don't know that I kind of want to chat with you guys about as we get going is, is that pivot and what it entails and what our goals are. Um, it's, I mean, it's a lot different and, and I think I've come around big time in best ball and learned a lot from you guys about not taking too hard of player stances and the ways that that can play out in best ball. And especially over a massive portfolio that you want to get some exposures to players, even if like you're not, you don't like them, you know, you want to, you want to be balanced. You want to, especially with the ways that we correlate in week 17 and, and, and the stacks and we, you know, stack players on that's been a harder thing for me to come through, uh, come around to in best ball, but in managed, I do feel like it's something that, especially when you don't have a ton of managed teams, I like to take my stances. I like to, you know, I like to make my, my plays on, on guys. And so that's something that, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of curious your guys' thoughts on it as well. I felt like it was something that last year we maybe didn't do, as, like if, if, if we can be self-critical, that we didn't do a great job on necessarily where we were more willing to let the room give us stuff. And this is something – I'm going to write something about this this offseason, but I feel like like I have this, this piece I'm going to write that I'm going to title something like uh, we're all sort of slaves to whatever worked for us in the past or something like that. Like, And so I had a team that finished top 20 in the FFPC main a few years back. And it was very much a team where I went out and got guys that I wanted. And so I had like a lot of success with that. And I, I think that's part of why I'm biased that direction. I'm not sure that it's the right way, but it's sort of like what I want. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I agree with you. I think the thing that I like the idea being, cause we are going to do a bunch of high stakes drafts this year is like being flexible with the structures we use, but being very intentional about like the players we're selecting with those structures. You know, like if we have an early slot in FFPC in this draft, we're about to pull up, we have the 111. So we're not going to have access to Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey's off the board. Then you can start to have some interesting conversations. Do you want to prioritize an elite tight end in these first few rounds? Or do we want to take advantage of a cranking purple strategy, you know, this year? Because 
because there's so much. But obviously, if we have an early draft slot, like I'm completely open to a Travis Kelsey anchor elite tight end build. So that's the thing, too. I'm kind of excited to let some of our draft slots you know, push us into different textures and styles of drafts, but still be very dialed in on the type of players we want to be heavy on this year. Yeah, I would. the one thing I'd say about getting our guys, I definitely feel like in this first draft, one of the things that I've kind of fallen into as a trap is like feeling like it's my only draft of the entire high stakes season and being like, I got to get this guy, I got to get this guy. It, like ADP be damned. But we'll have chances to get some of our targets in other drafts at the same time i do agree with you ben that like i want to be building teams with players that i feel like have the right upside profiles for this this format and this tournament um you are trying to finish first out of a ton of people uh you know it is a top heavy kind of payout structure advancing out of your league is important but ultimately you want to win the whole thing here and I don't want to let the room just box us into whatever kind of middling archetype right. of dude that we don't really feel very good about. So I, yeah, I kind of want a, a little bit of both where like, as we sit here in the 11 and I, I don't love this spot, but there's a couple guys that I think, you know, I'm going to be willing to like reach on in this yeah. spot. Um, yeah. So to, to kind of prioritize those things. We're obviously pretty aligned in a lot of what we think about. So we're, we're definitely kind of picking nits and it's, it's a very limited discussion. Like the application of this discussion is very limited in terms of whether we might lean one way or another, but we're going to be very close is what I'm getting at. I, yeah. I don't know. I want, well, this is a conversation more for the three, four, the five, six turns, but I think, and maybe in the six, seven turns, but I think we might have some disagreements on kind of who fits what architects. Sure. We have a lot of good discussions on those wide receiver profiles, I think, as the draft moves on. But but I think cool. we're aligned in sort of what we're trying to do. And then to kind of swing back the other – to Pat's point, too, is one thing I've noticed, and this goes back to even me saying I like different structures, is I, I want to say the couple years, and maybe it was last year and the year before, too, like we really like the idea of an anchor running back and an elite tight end in rounds one and two and then like scoop up all that wide receiver value, like hammer it after that. And then I, I always remember those were when we got like – you know, we're reaching to get that first tight end because we had a lot of late draft slots or we're reaching to take a guy like Antonio Gibson, you know, because we're like, yeah, he's our favorite of the remaining like bell cow. And it fit, fit that ideal structure that we wanted to do. And that's where I want to kind of it's like, let's utilize the structure that makes most sense for our draft slot, but then still be very, very picky with the, the players we're selecting. I, I love that point, too, because I think you can still do an anchor running back or an anchor tight end this year in particular yeah in the third and fourth in the fifth like we can actually hit dead zone running backs as an anchor or we can hit a tight end in those ranges as an anchor tight end so it is a great year for that exact point well, if you still want to be anchored on those Sorry, not sorry. really a tight end from this half of the board this half of the board you kind of get one crack at an elite tight end because basically if the adp i'm looking at fancy mojo's adp the last three days from the fantasy pros championship which I figured would have kind of more drafts in the main event right now. Um, and it looks like you get Andrews kind of at the one, two turn. Uh, it's a little bit of a reach. He's got an ADP. Um, He's in the middle of the second. Middle I have it pulled second. up here on screen yeah. to the uh, Rotoviz okay. draft, uh, draft grid here, ADP grid. And then your odds of getting a tight end. Yeah. Cause Hawkinson's got an ADP of three Oh four Kittle's, 
Kittle, Pitts, and Waller are all in the late fourth to mid fifth. Goddard as well in at the 506. So like, and I think there's a pretty big tier break there yeah. before Evan Ingram and the, and the market reflects that. So I, I think it's kind of like Andrews or nothing as far as elite tight ends go from the back half of the board in this ADP environment. Well, I mean, you still get an option at the three, four turn. Kittle, I was going to say Pitts, like early Waller. Early, and this kind of goes back to that thing, like how much of a reach in this format is Kittle or Pitts at 402 or 43. I'd rather reach three picks for Andrews than, you know, take a guy that's 401. Yeah, so it's like a half a round for – it's like a full round for Pitt. Like, I think we'll probably get Pitts in other drafts if he's going to stick at the end of the fourth round. Yeah. The other other potential answer is to not take an elite tight end end. when we're we're drafting in the 11 slot. I think a guy like Pat Fryermuth is still pretty undervalued. I'm looking at the 7-8 turn and saying, wow, I mean, if we had a shot at him at 7-11, I would be very in on that pick. Um, JSN listed right next to him there. So I'm sure the receivers there are still very interesting as well. But, um, yeah, it, it would change the way we would approach tight end. It might be one where we crank it purple later for sure. But to circle, um, I, I wanted to circle all the way back a little bit to the player like targets versus like ADP discussion. One of the things, this is a really large tournament, right? But one of the things I do want to shift our mind a little bit, um, and I don't know how I'm talking to you guys or talking to the listeners more, but um, the best ball discussions that we have and all the research that's done on the big best ball tournament formats, we have to keep in mind are hundreds of thousands of entrants, right? And that's like a really extreme contest size. This contest still very large. I don't know the exact number of entrants, but it's it's like sub ten thousand, right? They're right around ten thousand, maybe. I believe it's four. Uh, let me let me go check here. I thought it was like forty two hundred. Yeah, I think it's sub ten thousand. So a it's lot smaller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot, lot smaller. I think a lot more flexibility in terms of like the lessons that we've learned in best ball about being conscious about ADP, about getting good prices on stuff. That's still very important, but this is a, a type of contest where I, so I, I go back to that. I mentioned that team that I did well in 2019. That happened to be a team that was drafted after the Thursday night game. Will Fuller played on the Thursday night game. He was like a seventh round pick that year. We took him 410. We had the third pick, took him in the fourth round to make sure we got his, because he had a really good Thursday night game. Took him really, really high, way higher than in, in, in context of like best ball we talk about. A lot of people got him in the seventh round, way higher than where everyone else got him. He ended up getting suspended late that year, but he was a really key piece throughout the first 10 or 11 weeks to us like advancing. Um, obviously, he didn't end up being a huge part of the the puzzle at the end, but it was interesting. Like towards the end, we didn't, first of all, we didn't even really need him as our fourth round pick. We were still like live to win going into the final week. Um, but also that that price difference compared to every other Will Fuller drafter of like three rounds, it, it didn't really come into play big time for us. Um, again, him being suspended kind of makes this a tougher a tougher example, but there are other players that we we went and like reached for. It's just that like when you get to the final round in the main with sub 10,000 people, it is a more limited number of player uh, of drafters and the, and like especially with managed where you can win on the waiver wire as well right, you can, right you can change up your roster on the waiver wire there's a you lot have to, of you have to set your starting lineup as well so 
you know, it can be yeah. like <laughs> you might have the the league winner and not play him. And I will say right. too, like one shit, you know, obviously we're all in the weeds on the week 17 correlations and stuff like that. There is obviously a shift here. Week 17 is not as important, but weeks 15 through 17 in the whole are very important. That very sprint. Important. And, you know, I've looked a lot too at like the best playoff schedules, you know, for, for just those weeks as well, looking at who has the most dome games. Part of why I was a little spooked about like even the Patriot stuff is because they play all these tough outdoor weather games weeks 15 through 17. So that's something I want to make sure we have in the back of our head too. And the way I, and I was talking about this with Pat on a best ball breakfast of just like in an individual draft, you still want to make the best possible pick. If like Mac Jones, for whatever reason, I doubt it, but if for some reason he's the best possible pick, but then thinking about it from a portfolio perspective of like tilting your overall exposures toward the teams that have the the better sprint because this is still incredibly top heavy and you need to be optimizing to have the best team 15 through 17 so i do want to make yeah. sure we're thinking through those and I, I would say the bar is higher for how good your team needs to be to take down a three-week sprint than to advance advance and then win in the, the final week right like you can squeak through squeak through and then you're as live as anybody but if you kind of squeak through in weeks 15 and 16, you're not very live. You might be blocked. You might be dead to win yeah. the tournament at that point. So you need to put up a ton of points all three weeks to have a chance of finishing first in this tournament. So, it, But at the same time, advancing is more important in the main event than in like best ball mania. You don't really win much if you advance in best ball mania. You win, you win some prizes yeah. if you advance in these leagues. So mm -hmm. it's kind of this weird thing where it's almost like, more important to be a super team when you advance, but also you want to focus more on getting there. And we'll see that. Like we always see that, that dynamic you talked about with Fuller, like some running back will have, you know, a couple touchdowns or whatever. Um, like if Pacheco has a big game Thursday night, like he will be like a second round pick in yeah. the, the Friday drafts or maybe even a first. Right. Um, that's just the way it always goes. Cause, cause people do focus on advancing these teams. So should we talk? Let's dive in here. Uh, if you guys have been watching the video of this, we do have the draft board pulled up. Like I said, we're drafting from the 111. Right now, seven picks are off the board. Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Christian McCaffrey, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Cooper Cup, Bijan Robinson, someone on the clock right now at 1-8. So we have three more picks before our next pick. Let's um Let's kind of just get into it here of kind of who you guys think would be some of the ideal targets for us at – 111 and while you guys are discussing it i'll pull up that adp stuff again here too for the main event yeah i mean i think probably we're going to see austin eckler go before we get, we are on the clock of as one of these next three picks i would assume stefan diggs as well but he might still be there i think we're going to be in the cd lamb or aj brown range as we look at the you know the current adp um Amon ross let's, Brown. let's talk through if Eckler was there, though, would he be the pick for you? He would for me, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think he, for me, too. He would be for me. And I I would just guess it's probably, what, sub 10%? He's probably yeah. there at yeah. 111. Yeah. Since we don't normally take running backs. Yeah. <laughs> we should we should mention that just in case. Bijan's the other one where I would have you know, been psyched, thought yeah. through it, but he's already off the board, so we don't really need to spend a ton of time on that. But I think we're, we are – I, to your question about Eckler, we are angling pretty quickly toward a potential receiver-receiver start. I think that Mark Andrews in round two thing is an interesting conversation. 
Maybe you can get into like a Jonathan Taylor in round two conversation. Although, I mean, I'm, I, I'll just say for just me, that the, targets, the targets would be Lamb if he gets there over A.J. Brown. As much oh, as I like A.J. Brown a lot more than Lamb. Okay, that's a good discussion. And then actually, like, even even bigger targets for me, Amon Ross St. Brown. I mean, Lamb, I think, from a cost and, like, portfolio perspective, I definitely want some. Amon Ross is a guy I want, like, as much as I can get my hands on this year. And then Garrett Wilson is similar to Amon Ross. Those are two guys that I'm really excited about. Uh, I'm curious how you guys fit with, like, that group of guys. Well, what, one thing I would just mention, and again, because I'm I'm legitimately trying to reorient my brain from underdog stuff, half-point PPR, it is interesting that Amon Ra's ADP, I guess he is going ahead of A.J. Brown here, so maybe that reflects like the half-point versus full-point, but Amon Ra and full-point, uh, I think I like him over Diggs even um, yeah. in, in this format. I think Amon Ra versus CD is an interesting one, but I just wanted to make the point that uh, Amon Ra is very interesting to me. And also another team, Detroit schedule is playoff schedule is awesome. Pat, what's your case for AJ Brown over Lamb? Um, he's, I think, a much better receiver. I don't think we quite got the full CD Lamb breakout. CD Lamb's good, but he's not like AJ Brown is incredibly good. And CD Lamb is, I don't think he's a superstar. I think he's a very good player. Uh, A.J. Brown's on a better offense, uh, I think, pretty clearly. He finished third in open score last year behind Deontay Johnson and Tyler Lockett. He's, you know, his stats were a little bit underwhelming in certain games, but they pulled their starters in several games last year. He's about as high as a weekly ceiling of any wide receiver on the board. I think he's up there with Jefferson and Chase and, and Cup in terms of, like, his weekly potential um, you know, yeah, he's got to deal with Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard, some target competition. They're not going to throw as many times as some other offenses, but I, I think the Cowboys are kind of a sneaky, like really disappointing offense candidate. Maybe not even sneaky. I mean, we all, we've all, but it's a McCarthy offense. Like there's some real downside risk there. And I'm taking the player who I think is less talented in fairness to lamb. He finished fifth in open score. He, he's good, but like when you just look at some of the advanced stats, I mean, AJ Brown's off the charts again. He's off the charts every single year. He's in his prime. He's better than Devontae Smith, like by a decent amounts, even though, you know, Devontae Smith got a lot of targets last year too. Devontae Smith's very good. But I'm just like, I'm getting an elite player on an elite offense. I don't really want to overthink it. So I I mean, obviously all this stuff about AJ Brown being great, I agree with four straight years of a two point five plus yards per out run, which is an incredibly good number. You're the one who referenced, um, I think, with Debo a couple of years ago, or I can't remember who, but starting your career with multiple years of 2.5 yards per out run in a row is really strong, and he's done it four years in a row now. Two, Lamb's two yards per out run in a row was the stat right. of Debo. And, yeah, so, I mean, what oh, AJ Brown's right. done, it's two, yeah. yeah, what he has done is unbelievable. Lamb's breakout last year, 2.38. Still an incredibly strong number. Lamb has started his career 1.81, 206, 2.38. His back-to-back -back years. He emerged as a plus. true wide receiver one for sure. I just don't. But no, no, no. But, but to your point, even in his breakout of 2.38, he's not better than any year of A.J. Brown's four-year career. He's not even particularly close. To your point, yes. that, that's very yeah. valid. My issue with Brown, as much as I've obviously loved him, you know, every year of his career, is that I do feel like last year somewhat 
from a statistical standpoint, he, like that was at like the best case scenario, and he didn't hit a real ceiling. So at this price, at late first round, I, I really disagree with that. That it was a best case scenario. Like okay, they, well, let they, me make the case. Okay. <laughs> I mean, they pulled their starters in a bunch of games. Like he didn't get, like, purely from a you know accumulation standpoint, he was he was neutered in some games. What well, I guess what games. How many the games? Steelers game they pulled their starters. Um, there's a couple others. Plus, they also had the games where they would just like wipe the floor with guys and then run all over them for the second half. Like, if they're more competitive this year, the other thing about the Eagles is they are they showed a willingness to go toe to toe. They showed a willingness to attack. Like that Bears game, everyone thought they would just run the entire game. They were aggressive in the beginning, and then um, they did run the ball a decent amount, but. They attacked a very, very poor Bears secondary before they ran all over a, a very bad Bears run defense. And so I think, like, his best-case scenario is some teams push back on them. But there's still a, a percentage of their dropbacks that are going to be Jalen Hurts scrambles, a percentage of their play sure. calling that's going to be Jalen Hurts rushes. Jalen Hurts himself had more carries inside the 10-yard line than pass attempts. That's not just team rush attempts. It's quarterback rush attempts. Right, like as far as the touchdown rate being so heavily uh, leaning towards their running TDs, I do yep. think that has to regress some. They had a massive rushing TD rate, thirty-two rushing TDs. I don't think Hertz is going to run thirteen TDs again. But there is like a systemic. This is the way we attack in close. This is our red zone plan. And then in terms of like overall pass volume, I hear you that they they pull their starter some. Their their pass rate maybe can tick up a little i actually you know you, you're you're selling me on that a little bit but how much more can their pass rate go up and when you look at their target volume last year they stayed so healthy only four wide receivers got a target all year they were able to do a lot of that rpo stuff that i wrote about where they were like you just look at their targets aj brown 145 devonta smith 136 dallas guard at 69 misses five games quez is at 51 as their fourth highest targeted player Gainwell's at 29 after that. Sanders, Miles Sanders, 26. And they don't have another guy over 20 targets. It's it's like the 145, 136, and then it's just like a steep drop to their third, fourth, fifth guys. It could be that concentrated again. I actually well, think how that's would how it not be? Things. It Are won't, you it a Olamide Zacchaeus guy? No, it will be. But my point is that's where I'm saying it's maxed out. Yeah, I think you actually are selling me a little bit that they could throw more and they could be pushed more and all of those things. But basically, Brown can't consolidate what volume there is more. So you need Jalen Hurts to suddenly not be running. You need design runs to come way down, quarterback design runs. And I do think they're still going to call those things as well. So I, I agree with you. It's still going to be as concentrated. And, and maybe there is still some meat on the bone here. But how much more meat is there for the overall team pass volume, I think is a really fair question. So just to bring us down to earth just a little bit, my guess, there there certainly is a scenario where we have a C.D. Lamb versus A.J. Brown decision. I think the most likely thing is that Eckler, Lamb, and Diggs are the three next picks. And the one thing that I would maybe push to Lamb over A.J. Brown is simply the fact that the, of the ADP game and that there's a much better chance that A.J. Brown comes back around and you could maybe get both of them. Because with the 12 drafter, it's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure there. Like, if they want a running back, they could take Barkley or Jonathan Taylor. If they want the elite tight end, they're going to reach for Mark Andrews there. Like, there's combos they could do that don't involve wide receiver, wide receiver. So that's just one other thing to consider. Also, in that scenario, there's a chance that 
Um, Amon Ross St. Brown is also pushing another guy down. So just like does the Hertz ADP in, game. In this, Hertz, in this format, does Hurts make it to 3-4 at all? He It looks like his ADP is 3-2 right now, which is interesting because that's correlated mm. ADP-wise with the Devonta Smith, who goes at yeah. 210 and then or 211, and then Hurts yeah. goes at 3-2. I would also be more compelled if we had a shot to get Hurts at 3-4. I think if we want to set up a premium stack like that, the only real opportunity we have is an Andrews Lamar because Lamar does go at the three, four turn. Um, But just to kind of, just to finish up this wide receiver conversation, uh, I said we might be on different pages later. I think we're on different pages now. I I don't, I don't really like CeeDee Lamb as the pick like at all. Like I I would rather take Adams over CeeDee Lamb. Like at the end, what I would say about the ADP game, I mean, this whole Jimmy Garoppolo you know, everyone like so afraid that he was not going to be their quarterback and what was going to happen to Adams. Like that stuff is over now. We all, you know, probably overreacted. I thought I was actually real heavy on Adams came to find out checking today that I was just like slightly overweight. So I'm, I'm a little annoyed with myself for not being more aggressive with him, but I mean, he's someone that I think like, why aren't we taking him over CD lamb? He's awesome. And he's, he's got a quarterback in place. They're going to have to throw a bunch. The running backs holding out. Jacoby Myers is like fine, but he's not gonna like impinge on Devontae Adams' ability to earn targets. The guy's an incredible route runner and has been for years. So, like, I, I guess what my thing with Lamb is like, if I don't think he's more talented than Brown or Adams, why don't you think Lamb is talented? I do think he's talented. I don't think he's okay. more talented than AJ Brown or Devontae Adams. Yeah. Then, and if that's the case, am I excited about his offense? And for me, the, the answer is like no. I, I'm I'm nervous about his offense. So then, what? So then, okay. Let me think. If I'm going to a guy who I don't think is as talented as those two guys, I think I I'd almost rather take Amonra or something where, you know, I know I I'm going to rack say, up your stuff. Yeah. Are we all? Are you guys all? Because I, I think I'm I'm a Monra even over Lamb. Like, are you guys a Monra over Lamb? It's close for me. I I, honestly, I'd probably be Lamb. Just, but I, but you—that's like a real coin flip for me. Because if that's a coin flip, what we could do if we're in the spot, assuming it goes Eckler, um, Diggs, and well, if Lamb goes off, we're gonna have AJ Brown, Amon Ra, and so Pat, you're saying you're basically AJ Brown, Devonta, Lamb, and Amon Ra as a coin flip after those two. I would have both of Lamb and Amon Ra ahead of AJ Brown and Adams probably in a vacuum. So that's that's if, tricky. If Where do you fall on those? Pete? If Adams ADP was nine point nine or nine point eight, one spot ahead of Lamb, would that change things for you? Because I think that's where we're headed. I think Adams is going to come back up and pass Lamb again. I'm pretty concerned about the Raiders in the ways that you're concerned about the Cowboys. I'm way more concerned about the Raiders than the Cowboys. Josh McDaniels, I don't think is a good coach, and I think ha- there's like there's I think there's like legit. We have a meltdown in in Tear it Las down Vegas kind of situation. Yeah, yeah, like just yeah. And Adams maybe even like traded mid season, and then he's trying to like catch on in a new offense mid season. There was some talk about them potentially moving him this off season. I, I just feel like we're looking at some weird outcomes with for the Raiders personally. That feels fair. The, the other thing, let's to kind of reframe it, and then we can maybe circle back. Is the other big decision point is 
Um, cause we certainly will line up to go wide receiver, wide receiver. I think we're going to like a guy like Devonte Adams or Garrett Wilson there. The other thing is, do we entertain a Mark Andrews reach or do we entertain a guy? I think all of us like as well. in Jonathan Taylor, who I expect to also be there in the early second. So to me, that's kind of the decision. Is it wide receiver, wide receiver or wide receiver, Jonathan Taylor? How, where are you going? I'm pretty high on Taylor. Where are you at on Taylor, Pat? I like Taylor. I mean, me too. It's tough because <clears throat> I'm like used to getting Taylor in the late second now of best ball drafts or the mid to late second. And so I, I'm passing on him. I've gotten used to passing on Taylor from the 11 hole. But I mean, it's Jonathan Taylor. Like, yeah, he could be the, the running back one pretty easily. I guess he definitely takes a bit more of a hit in this PPR format. Um, you know, if Minshew plays this year, he's really not. I think he could if Minshew plays. If Minshew, yeah. But I, yeah. I'm very skeptical that Minshew plays. I mean, okay. maybe a game or two, but I, I don't think Minshew's getting any real run. Like they, they know what this year is. It's first year for the head coach. They just spent the third overall pick on this guy. They're fully committed. They've never even really hinted that they want to play Minshew for for anything. Like I think if Richardson's bad enough, Minshew comes yeah. over from Philly with Steichen and knows the offense, that it's a pretty easy, hey, we need to sit him down. This the, the backup knows the offense. He's played. Yeah, with him but Richardson year. has to be really bad. And and probably in a way that's hurting Taylor's early season run out. Like he's, you know, like we're kind of like, all right, Minshew's in, it's week six. Maybe this <laughs> wasn't a bust. So it makes me nervous. I just Fair. don't I don't really think there's a Minshew starts the first six games and and is productive and Taylor. Taylor's doing great because of that type of outcome. I don't. I don't think that's their plan. No, I think Richardson starts Week One. I think there's some chance that he gets sat down for a bit and then comes back, basically. But that's that, that's not good for Taylor. Maybe it's good in a sense. It's going to be a rough ride. <laughs> We're signing up for a rough ride and managed if that happens. So um, one thing, just to just to then because I know you, we did mention Andrews. Like I think my lean would be like looking at the draft grid, like the current ADP draft grid would be to almost like play our late slots as more punt tight end builds, unless there's a super interesting faller, and then be like, let's play an Andrews or Hawkinson or Kittle through our middle tight end slots, and then let's play Kelsey and Pitts from our early draft slots just based on currently how ADP is lining up. And I guess the argument would be how solidified is this? We're going to see a lot of movement, but just if we are getting pretty good volume down, that would be my only thought there on, on the Andrews point. I think that's a, I think it's a fair one and kind of where I fall too. And then similarly with Taylor having an ADP right now, it's very, very early, but at 17.3, I'm hesitant to pull the trigger on him in the one-two turn in part because anybody that can get back to a Cooper Cup or a Tyreek Hill or even like a Jamar Chase team and you get Taylor and we have, you know, whoever we settle on as our first-round receiver in Taylor, like I feel like we're pretty big dogs in that spot. Like I think yeah, I want to I be taking guys at the, 11, or the one-two turn at the 11 spot here that I don't think the Cup or Tyreek drafter or – Travis Kelsey drafter is going to get really ever. And so in that regard, like I think I would lean even towards AJ Brown over, over Taylor, even though I think I might prefer Taylor in a vacuum. Yeah, that's fair too. And also depending on like how close we have guys like Pollard and Ramondre in Brees, I think we all like Taylor a smidge ahead, but maybe how much to justify not letting the kind of the room dictate where you're taking those early running backs. Yeah. Although if we want to, if we want a hero RB start, 
like a true hero. I mean, we can get a we can get an ETN in the fourth or something, but if we want that true hero running back start, it's Taylor or Chubb based on this ADP because um, we're not oh, we're from not this part it. of the board. Yeah, from this part of the board. Yeah. <laughs> Because so. that's a good point too to bring up. Because maybe like we wouldn't like if Gibbs fell to the yeah, late Gibbs three eleven. I would that's be fun. pretty into. I'd be yeah. into that. Um, it's I not a true hero RB in. to your point, Pat. It's not like it's not. I mean, yeah. I, I play him like as like I just drafted. You've said that. I was just gonna bring that up. Yeah. I think of it too now when I take him. I'm like, it's a, it's a really smart way of thinking about drafting him. I think. Yeah. Yeah, because he fits that archetype. Yeah, I just took a a six running back build in Best Ball Mania with Gibbs. Um, in the third round. Like that's how I build with them usually. Not to reopen the can of worms. The one case for Andrew's reach is what Pat was saying about Lamar's ADP. Well, don't right. Yeah. I, I want this can of worms open. Like I, I like Andrews in the second as a like, okay. Andrews was what? Like a late first round pick last year. He's like, they, they're talking about um, taking Lamar Jackson back to the Louisville offense, having him, having spread out the defense, like throwing way more. We've for years were like, man, if Lamar just like had enough pass attempts, he'd be, he'd be such a smash. It's like, he might, he might get them this year. (laughs) Like, and I, and that also feels like a drumbeat situation. You know, maybe, maybe Andrews right now could be available to some cup drafters, but he could easily become the one Oh nine. Like, yeah, easily. I'm, I'm just I'm just saying based on ADP, there's a lot of teams probably who are able to get Mark Andrews from the middle of the board and then have Lamar yeah, now. Jackson slip a couple spots and get him in the middle of the board. Now, but I'm saying like there's I don't know that this has been internalized by the market that especially in a tight end premium format, that like the Ravens all indications are that they are planning to throw a lot more this year and be more mm-hmm. aggressive. And like literally moving from a guy who's like describing his offense is like a stone age offense to a guy who's like we want to spread out defenses and attack them but the you air. still have an issue of how many of those dropbacks turn into scrambles and turn into non-pass attempts sure like but you i do think in he's the number one receiver on his team yeah he let he led the nfl he led all tight ends in open score last year ahead of kelsey uh the dude is a even in tight end premium though my, my point is even in tight end premium i i wouldn't get there to take him over the receivers we've talked about I don't think it's a drum. I, I think I disagree with you. I don't think he can easily be the 109. I don't think he can easily go ahead of Diggs and land an AJ last Brown. Year, wasn't he? Wasn't he in that 110 range last year? I don't see why he couldn't get back there, given that we'll, we'll ultimately be more excited about the Ravens this year than we were last year, I think. It's a different board, is what I would argue. It's a different board at the 1 2 turn. Yeah. To me, Pat, like the, 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 and again, I know we're just talking about a few picks of ADP, but the classic like reaching in our first draft for the yeah. tight end to get the elite, that feels like our old bullshit to me, where it's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, cause I do, yeah. think, I do think there are going to be some drafters, and I don't have a good, I, I'll admit, I don't have a finger on the pulse of how FFPC draft rooms are shaking out right now, but we did see like in main events, like the room does determine, does someone want the non, Travis Kelsey tight end early and you probably will see a decent band on Mark Andrews. You'll see him sometimes go at the one, two turn and you'll probably also see him slide to a, uh, you know, team three, you know, in, in some drafts. So that's the only thing of like, do we give ourselves a chance to get him at a really insane price versus this is what we did on pits last year. If we took him at the one, two turn early. But we're not playing for a breakout here. We're playing for Mark Andrews. Like if Kelsey, doesn't repeat you know at, at an old age this year it could be easily it could be 
Mark Andrews and no one else is worth drafting in tight end premium until later. Like that, <laughs> you know, that could easily happen. Andrews is a huge target for me this year as well. Um, I, I would like at 16% on him in my best ball stuff on underdog. Like I'm drafting a lot of them uh, in tight end premium. I think he's pretty clear target. Yeah, I've been scooping him too. And I, I, I mean, I think you make a, a strong case. I'm just, I land more with Pete where I think we'll get opportunities from the 105, 106, 107 draft slots from the 111 to take him at 202 does feel, especially in our first draft, it feels a little aggressive to me. I, I don't even think it's a bad choice. I, think, I just think from a portfolio. Yeah. I just think this is where he's going to settle. And it's not going to be, to me, it's not a Pitts thing. I think we did this two years ago too and, and reached for a tight end and that didn't work either. It might've been even Andrews. So, so maybe, you know, it might be our old bullshit, but, but I don't, I think it's a little different than, you know, paying up to get that breakout guy. You're, I think you're paying up to get a guy who's going to go around this range. Yeah. So then are there, it seems like we're all in agreement that this first pick is going to be a wide receiver. And then it seems like the one thing, the one issue we would have is if it goes Eckler digs Amon Ra, and then we have to do a lamb versus AJ Brown debate. And then in the second round, it's kind of, it sounds like debating best available wide receiver versus JT versus Andrews is probably those, those are the most likely decisions. Yeah. Just, I mean, another thing on the Lamb thing is that they did just also add Brandon Cooks, which, I mean, Brandon Cooks isn't like a massive threat to Lamb or anything, but like, and they also lost Dalton Schultz, so that maybe, you know, it's not a huge difference, but it's like, it's like when we look at like Lamb's situation, I'm like, he has probably more target competition than last year. Michael Gallup's been getting some good buzz two years off the ACL. He also might be done, so he might not matter at all, but... They're just like they lost Kellen Moore for scoring too many points. Like I'm just like, man, this this is just not a situation. I'm. It's kind of the best ball thing you were talking about before, Ben. Like in best ball, I'm often just being like, well, fuck it, I'll take Lamb here. I don't want to be completely out on City Lamb. He's very good. But in like our first main event, I'm just like, God, like this just gives me like a pit in my stomach when I think about. Yeah, that's how I am with Devonta Adams. I get it. I, I I have counters to all those things you just said, but I get it. I, I mean, it's like it's a tough one. But this like, is where I, like Cooks, is, Cooks turns thirty in September. Like I actually think his target competition is like it can't be called worse than last year. I don't, I don't see how you. Can I make think that it's point. I think it's more talented than last year. I mean, Dalton Schultz is a tight end, and I mean very marginally. If you're going to make that claim, very he's a professional wide receiver. Yeah, no, Cooks is good, but like it's one on other head. What's that? He's an upgrade on Noah Brown. Yeah, no, 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 I know. But, like, I'm saying it's still not enough to stop Lamb if Lamb is good enough to be a, a 1-11-type player. It's still not good enough for him to consolidate. Cooks can still have a good year as a number two. You need, like, multiple other players to really start talking about target competition from a true alpha is what I'm saying. It's not any worse this year than it was last year. There's not enough. Like, Cooks, yeah, is good. I'm not saying Cooks is bad. It seems like that we will, like what, we can probably meet in the middle on it. I think we all like Amon Ross St. Brown, and we all like Garrett Wilson a lot, right? That, yeah, where are like, you on Garrett, Pat? Uh, this is interesting. I didn't realize we were this. I like Garrett. I like Garrett okay. I, yeah. Garrett and Amon Ra both feel like they're probably sort of mid-second round values to me. Like, and PPR, I, I would say Amon Ra feels pretty nice as like a, 
more like an early second, you're like locked and loaded PPR weapon. Um, but it's like I'm not I'm not sure like who else jumps out is like, oh, I have to take these guys instead. So I'm kind of more comfortable with them. But like to me, to me, like taking Garrett Wilson over AJ Brown doesn't make a ton of sense. Like AJ Brown is kind of like what we're hoping <laughs> that they're different types of players, but it's like you're hoping Garrett Wilson can emerge as like a true alpha. It's like, well, you already have a true alpha in AJ Brown who's on an elite uh, offense. But- Garrett Wilson can consolidate the target share in a way that AJ Brown's not going to be able to with Devonta Smith and Goddard. Garrett Wilson has far right. less target competition. And I think AJ Brown also is a downfield weapon. Like when you look at what he's going to be able to do with his targets, also he's an after the catch superstar. So yeah, he's his target share is probably in, in ceiling outcomes is not as high as Garrett Wilson's. I'll give you that, but. I, I'm not going to argue against Brown, but my case for Wilson would be if you're thinking about storylines that define the season, uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady to the Bucks type FU season with the Jets and Garrett Wilson coming along as the number one is a storyline that I can go into December and look back and be like, Garrett Wilson had the the year like the the Devonte Adams breakout year or the Jordy Nelson breakout year or all you know these. Maybe Rodgers is completely dust, but like part of it for me is like we know that the NFL is chaotic. We know that there's storylines in 2023 that are going to define the season that we're going to be tough to predict. That's one for me that's like I can see a ceiling path that is like unprojectable by what we've already seen in the in the past data for Garrett Wilson. Sometimes we're wrong on those, absolutely, but I'm not like I I, I like to take those swings. Yeah. Um, I think the only other last thing to kind of put a bow on it of thinking through our structures and uh, again, maybe a feather in the Andrews cap is there is a chance based on like where the ADP is from the back here that you get funneled to both a zero RB and a punt tight end build. Right. And so that's something to kind of think through if we're okay with that, because my guess is if we review the board that a lot of the sweet zero RB targets are also going to be where you're wanting to load up on all those cranking purple tight end targets call. as well. Um, yeah, and, and I guess what I would, at, float, go ahead. I would, I would note that Lamar Jackson um, is on the three, four turn. And I think is a pretty interesting pick, even if we don't go Andrews uh, and we're kind of in a situation elite quarterback wise, like we are at tight end where uh, we're not going to get one of the top three at quarterback. Uh, if we don't take in uh, Lamar Jackson, then, then um, Burrow goes at the end of the fourth fields and Herbert go kind of mid to late fifth. So maybe we could get a falling fields. Um, I also like Herbert, but I think he's sort of a, he's not Lamar in terms of what up the upside he provides. And then at that point you're down to like, Deshaun Watson goes mid eighth, so we could pretty easily get him in the early eighth if we wanted to go that route. But um, you're kind of already to one, the non. One other, as I think through like reverse engineering the draft and the structure to it, to your guys' point of being like, okay, maybe guys like Garrett Wilson and stuff are slightly overvalued. I mean, if we truly are still getting these prices on guys like JSN and Addison, yeah, yeah, yeah. might not exist later in draft season. I do wonder if that pushes us toward a non wide receiver pick in round two being like we do have legit so, an eight and nine that we like seven eight and i and i think seven eight looks really appealing seven, nine ten good. less so what i was just going to say and i think pat was sort of doing it by going through the different plays is the the drafting landscape we're in i would argue makes it possible to hit 
to pivot to an anchor. We just talked through the tight end thing where I like, I would be comfortable reaching at the three, four turn on our favorite tight end. That's going a little bit later in the fourth and fifth. Like it pets, it might be way too high for you guys, but um, more, more so at running back. For me. Okay. You guys are talking yeah. through QBs, but more so at running back. I think there are options through the entire dead zone with the way it lays out this year. You have like, I'm really comfortable. We, we talked about Gibbs or ETN as potential options at three, four. I'm really comfortable with J.K. Dobbins. If somehow he were to fall to five, six, he's going like in the earlier fifth. DeAndre Swift is a sixth round pick right now that I'm really willing to take some exposure to. So I think there are, and then you were, Pat was talking through some quarterback plays. I think there are ways we could play tight end as well. So I think there are, I, I, I agree with you, Pete, where you're looking back at that seven, eight range. You're going, man, if we're really going to want to take receivers there, we might wind up taking eight straight receivers to start. But I do think there are ways to play the dead zone this year that in the past we, we, we basically wanted to be receiver only in four, five, six. But this year I think there's ways to play every other position, four, five, six, and throughout those rounds that yeah. I guess I don't want it to necessarily be the deciding factor in our round one, two picks because well, we don't know what we're going to like at three, four, and five, six. Is sort of where I'm the going. Ca- the counter to that, though, is like what if I told you from the three – you know, from the 11 – we went Keenan third, Debo fourth. Uh, we went Deontay fifth, uh, Mike Williams sixth, or Brandon Ayuk sixth, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and Jordan Addison, or something like that. Like or Quentin Johnston, right? Like that would be. That's I, I'm very comfortable going wide receiver from round three through round eight. Like those. Yeah, While there sure. are potential detours throughout, like the the wide receivers that we're potentially looking at is seven eight. I think it's in particular that seven eight turn that you're looking at. Dotson, JSN, Jordan Addison, yeah, Quentin Johnson. Yeah. Like, holy shit! Like that. Not to mention, there there's a more of a dead zone in ADP on FFPC than there is on Underdog because if you look at these names. Montgomery, Cook, James Conner, Swift, Pierce, Rashad White, they go so much closer to the Charbonnet, P. Ryan, A.J. Dillon range on underdog than they do here. Like, this is a meaningful three-round gap between them where I don't see a huge difference between some of these backs and the backs going in the ninth round. So, like, this is, like, the kind of the running back area I think I would mostly want to be avoiding this round six. Early six? Yeah, that's fair. I mean – other than like DeAndre Swift, I can make pretty good cases against the, everyone. For all the names there. Pat said, and looking at this board, the one name like Mike Williams at six hundred two wasn't very compelling to me. Most of the six round, I Iuke maybe that's but. pretty compelling to me. I take I'll take him in <clears throat> mid fourth. I don't mind that. The other thing is this tier of wide receivers is so flat that if you take two guys from round seven and round six, you know what I mean. Like if you bump up a round seven guy to round six, so you can get both Jahan Dotson and Traylon Burks or whatever. Sure. Like I don't. That's not bad. Yeah, also, I mean, I don't know. We could be looking at – I know you guys like Godwin. We could be looking at, like, Godwin, Deontay. Terry McLaurin could fall. Like, I don't – like, it's pretty yeah. – I think we're going to like our wide receivers 5, 6, 7, 8, um, unless this is a weird room. I agree. Um, so, I, there's, I there's get, four wide receivers pretty easily I, right there. There are still some guys, again, like the DeAndre Swift, where I think you can make some 2v2s and you wouldn't mind not taking one of those receivers. The, the, the list of receivers you named – was good, but like unless Keenan or Debo has a true elite ceiling, I don't think they were you know as comparable to the one-two turn guys as we like like to well, get that elite wide receiver. 
and I'm not saying we go we go non wide receiver non wide receiver. I'm saying we go one detour one. in these first two rounds because you know we could easily rip off seven wide receivers after that. Because if we uh, were looking, wide. if we liked the wide receivers in the eighth round, I mean, getting to the eighth round with six wide receivers we like, and then two detours um, for either an anchor running back, a t- elite tight end, or an elite quarterback like that that sets up pretty well. But do we have a detour that makes? I mean, that's a lot of reverse engineering to be. We have to be pretty certain in our detour. We talked through the injuries and JT stuff, and they're going a lot later. You compare them with like Cup and and Tyreek in some draft slots. Unless we want to go there with those guys, what detour are we even making? I mean, well, I think I think what I see happening is like the say you do the JT versus Mark Andrews decision point. Like I do think if you go Mark Andrews, you're looking at a zero RB build. If you go JT, you're looking at a punt tight end build, most likely. The, I see, I, I think there's a lot of options at running back and tight end in three rounds three through six. I actually I don't want to reach for those guys if we have a chance to reach like three picks on Andrews, who I think is gonna move up, then why would like we're that to me feels like the thing where we're like making a team out of players that will get at better prices later. I don't think that Pitts Kittle Pitts is going to move up. Pitts is going Pitts to move. move Pitts will move up some, but he's but he's not in the where is he? We don't need to take we don't need to take Pitts. That wasn't like sort of the case. Pitts is going at the 412. So I liked the the, yeah. the track we were on where this would be more of a punt tight end. Uh mm-hmm. Pete, Pete mentioned earlier. I liked that idea. I think we could still get a running back like a Gibbs at the 3-4 if that happens or a couple other options that we were looking at there but um, I'm thinking like we could get, let's say we went in or let's say we, sorry, let's say we went Taylor. We could be looking at like, um, I don't know, let's say Diggs falls to us, to us just to make things simple, right? Diggs and then Taylor. And then we could go wide receiver, wide receiver. Um, and then we could get like a Herbert paired with Keenan or Fields if he falls. Uh, and there's our two detours. And then we go wide receiver through eight. And then we come back and circle and, you know, crank it purple through some of the double digit rounds in addition to going running back. The other thing that is different this year, and we've been talking about it on underdog too, like looking at the tight end options throughout the draft board. Like I remember in previous years, like, I mean, we were taking some like true, true, like Jordan Aikens level dust balls at tight end. Like when you get squeezed on Abbey, like Mike, Mike Gesicki is going in 13. Uh, Jelani Woods and Ferguson are going in 16. Michael Mayer is going in 17. Dawson Knox in 18. Taysom Hill in 32. I know that's a best ball thing. Hunter Henry, we all like, is, is in the last round going in the 20 round so undrafted sometimes too like it is nice i think the the tight end options there's going to be tight op- end options throughout the whole draft um, i think that's true of like every position where things are a little bit more balanced i think the like yeah, he's gotten more efficient like ceh goes off the board in the 15th round i mean the running back stuff dries up really like the last five rounds are not pretty for running backs Whereas I can make okay. cases for tight ends in the last five rounds. I, I meant, yeah, that, that's fair. That's different than underdog. I just meant in the 2023 drafting environment that we're moving towards more efficient. And I do think it means that you can throw structure out the window a little bit more for player selections. I mean, I, I know that sounds kind of odd, but that, that's like a broad take that I'm considering uh, this, this year. A, this ADP doesn't feel that different to me than older ADP. This isn't, this isn't underdog. Okay. If you're getting Jackson Smith and Jibbo at the seven eight turn, like this is not 
this is exploitable. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I agree with that. I, I do have to uh, to get going. We did, while we were talking, the Austin Eckler pick did come in. Um, okay. So that was expected. Um, and now we'll see here. And I should also mention, this is uh, you know a dynamic here. I, I recognize a few names in here, but we do have one of our ship chasers out of the 10 slot. Um, slime season is Ryan from the discord. So, um, you know, we might be able to, to profile him a little bit and he's going to be able to profile us a little bit. So the one I, thing, Pat, I, yeah. I'm sorry to cut you off because I know you're closing is that it really, it's QBs going higher path. And my argument would be is yes, I agree with you. The wide receivers are still, but there's like better tight end profiles later. There's better running back profiles later as well. And it's all because the QBs are going, there's seven QBs going in the first five rounds. I don't like the late running back profiles that much. I mean, there's certainly targets, but I guess I would – I think a hero running back start is probably going to work better for us in this ADP environment than – Sure. Than sure. not – right. If we're, if we're only – if we're punting one of tight end or running back, I think the full punt yeah. of tight end probably works better, even though I like Andrews more than I like Taylor in tight end premium, I think. But I, but I still think Taylor might help us more. I, I think cranking purple might not – this might be the most viable it's ever been in the years we've played on FFPC. Like, full stop. Like, the fact that you could literally go rounds 15 through 20 and take five tight ends that all have, like, a glimmer of hope, either projectable role, an upside profile, correlation with your quarterback. Like, I, I do think we're we're going to have some really nice punt tight end builds we like. Yeah, and also I think maybe – those tight ends might as a group move up and it might become more difficult to crank purple. Uh, you know, like Dawson Knox, for example, like what if we get reports that like, no, Dawson Knox is still like playing like, like he did last year, basically. It's just that they're also sometimes mixing in this yeah. rookie. I it's feel like, like we're, he I shouldn't feel like be in premium. every, every like exploitable opportunity you think is out there, you think is going to disappear immediately. <laughs> like broadly, you're like, Oh, this is going away. This is going away. This well, is going away. It's, I mean, shouldn't you, shouldn't you assume that the that a big edge isn't going to just sit there for you forever, and you should take advantage of them now? Maybe. Yeah, but like, I don't know. Hasn't haven't you guys all been talking about like, oh, JSN is so cheap on DraftKings, and like that hasn't changed, right? Like the the I've never said JSN will get more expensive on DraftKings. I don't don't put words in my mouth. No, I'm just saying it is it is hard to know. Um, and all we can do is really use like the information that we have now. And there's so few main events that have even been completed that it is kind of hard to know, but let's, uh, let's power this down. We will, we will, next time we touch base, we'll probably be when we're on the three, four turn and we will kind of then recap these decisions we did end up making here at the one, two turn. Uh, if you guys are listening to the audio version, you want to see the video of this with the screen share and get earlier access to these, you can become a YouTube member and also hop in the discord. But yeah, this is the mini sode series. We're off to the races. We call them a mini sode series and this one's clocking it at uh, almost 55 minutes, which is uh, a little bit of ADP chasing rubbing off on us, I guess. About uh, a third of but, an ADP chasing episode. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it feels great to be back, guys. We will let you know how this, uh, this team materializes here soon. We'll catch you uh, at the next bit.